Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All the hikes start off, you're going down in elevation, right? So then you have to, obviously, when you're turning around, you have to make your way back up. And I remember the ranger warned us about yeah. that when we were talking to her about the trails. Yeah, because people <laughs> give up on life. And they just, they just sit there. I think the rangers could sit up there with binoculars and see people just sitting on the side of the trail and saying, I'm not doing it. This is, <laughs> that was this me. is where it ends. <laughs> me, I think, me, you, I think me. you did that a couple times. <laughs> This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our travels to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. For all of you planning or just dreaming of a trip to Hawaii, today's episode is about Haleakala National Park on the island of Maui. It's a diverse park that has everything from lush rainforest, rocky coastlines, and a volcanic landscape above the clouds. We'll be talking about some of the things to do in the two separate developed areas of the park, and we'll take you from the coastline of the Pacific Ocean all the way up to the 10,000-foot summit of Haleakala, from sea to summit. All right, we're back talking about Hawaii again today. I wish we were in Hawaii I do too. Today. I know. I think we said that the last time. A few weeks ago, we did an episode on Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. If you missed that one, it's episode number 58. Yeah, 58. This is this is episode 62. We're up to 62. We are cranking them we out. We are cranking them out. <laughs> and there were a couple of other bonus episodes. This actually 64. But yeah. we forgot to number those other mm-hmm. two. But anyway, yeah. But we're so busy doing podcasts now, yeah, we don't just, have any time to travel. Just cranking. So. <laughs> we don't even know what number it is. <laughs> we sit in our house in our pajamas all day long and do podcast episodes. <laughs> oh, but Haleakala, we have fond memories of Haleakala, don't we, Matt? We do. We spent our 20th wedding anniversary in Maui. And gosh, when, when I say that, it seems like maybe a couple years ago, but we just celebrated our third. 39th wedding anniversary. I can't believe it was almost 20 years ago that we were there. I know. And it was our very first visit to Hawaii ever. I remember my parents came to stay with our kids because, you know, they they were not on their own yet. And we flew off to Hawaii. And this was before, long, long before we decided to visit all the parks. And for some reason, we visited Haleakala National Park on the very day of our anniversary. Well, we really didn't plan very well ahead. Literally on the on the drive to the park, we realized that, this, you know, we're going to the top of a mountain that's 10,000 feet, even though it's Hawaii. It's going to be cold up there, mm-hmm. and it's always windy, and we packed no warm clothes, and we were in uh, shorts and t-shirts, so we decided we needed to stop at Walmart <laughs> to buy extra clothes. And we stopped there, and we both bought a sweatshirt, but before we left the Walmart, this is what stands out to me. <laughs> this is what you remember about yes. our 20th wedding anniversary? Uh-huh. You surprised me with breakfast 
in the McDonald's inside the Walmart. For better or for worse. This is <laughs> this is the better part, baby. I got a McGriddle and <laughs> The romance was still alive is, because what could be more romantic than a McGriddle? I mean, come on. And a uh, Hawaii Warriors hoodie sweatshirt. And 19 years after that, we're still happily married. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, why do you look skeptical? There is a fair chance that we'll be going to McDonald's on our 40th wedding anniversary. Hey, if it's in the Walmart in Maui, I am down for that. And you can get a McGriddle. You can get one of those breakfast burritos if you want. You can get two. Okay, now I'm excited about that. I do remember that as we were sitting there eating breakfast, we swore to each other that we would never tell another living soul that we spent our anniversary breakfast in the McDonald's inside the Walmart. And now here we are. <laughs> yeah, I'm not embarrassed. This is who we are. This is who we are, folks. <laughs> There's more where that came yeah, all from. All right, all right. Let's keep it moving. All right. So first of all, for all of you wondering, Haleakala means, translated means, house of the sun. I was wondering what it meant, Karen. I know you were just. Thank you for yes, that. You're welcome. Um, it became a national park in 1916. And back then, as we mentioned in the previous episode, it was part of Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. But then in July of 1961, Haleakala was declared its own separate independent national park. It became its own park. It mm-hmm. deserves to be its own park. It does deserve it's to on be a its whole, own park. It's on a whole nother island. Yes, I know. I don't know how they could have combined that in the first place. But, you know, they didn't ask us back then. They, in, no, they, in, they, they, they in never, they never <laughs> asked us our opinion about anything ever. Shocking. <laughs> this park has two districts. Uh, one district encompasses the summit. Now, the summit is 10,023 10, feet, to be exact. Yeah, and the other one is down at the coastline by the Pacific Ocean. It's the Kipahulu district of the park. Now, the thing about these two separate areas, they are not directly connected by a road. So you have to go a long way around to each section. So if you want to visit both of these, it's going to take at least two full days, one one area per day. The drive is just well first of all it's it's a long windy drive and yeah trying to get both of those in in one day it's probably better to just give each area each district its own day definitely now matt i have some fun trivia here in case you are ever on jeopardy you have to give me a warning before you're going to ask me questions all right fine i have some questions of my own but you can start okay here you go Okay, this we're pretending like you're on Jeopardy. So I'm going to ask you the question, which really isn't a question, because you know on Jeopardy how they say it as a fact, and then you have to do the answer as a question. Are you with me? Yes. (laughs) Okay. What's my buzzer? All right. This park is. This park is the only national park completely surrounded by a boundary fence. What is Haleakala, Karen? Yes, that is correct. So the reason for the fence, by the late 1880s, cattle ranching and sugarcane production were in full swing on Maui. And unfortunately, this also brought cattle and goats and pigs, and they roamed. Wait, wait a second. 
<laughs> the goats and pigs, did they just come along with the cattle? <laughs> did they order separate separate shipments of goats and pigs, Karen? You know, Matt, we'll do an in-depth about the oh, goats and pigs. you'll do that later? And, yeah. Well, not on this episode. Oh, It'll this... have to be its own episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> the way you said it, it kind of sounded like they opened the barge and all sorts of animals uh-huh. came out. They did come out and they roamed the upper slopes within the crater and they destroyed the fragile plant life. So by 1922, six years after this area became a national park, the cattle had been taken off of the land. However, they still couldn't keep them off. So what they did was they started building a fence around the park back in 1976. And this fence surrounds 12,000 acres of rainforest, keeping these feral pigs and goats and deer from munching on the rare plants. So the work continues today. And what's interesting is, even though these animals have been eradicated from the park, they do sometimes breach the fence. Oh, they get in? (laughs) They get in. So the Park Service monitors all these miles of remote fence line with drones and helicopters to check for, you know, breaches in the fence. Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it does. I I didn't even know this was a thing. Well, I didn't either. No, it's fascinating, isn't it? And so it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> you need to give me a heads up before you do the History Channel section. <laughs> no, because I know you'll you'll go and get coffee. Anyway, the good news is many endangered ecosystems are now making a comeback, and plants and animals have been re- reintroduced, and the effort continues today. So, what about the goats and the pigs? Like they're just. Now, not you're not welcome in the park. They are just, not just go welcome. somewhere else on the island. Yeah, they have and... to forage somewhere else. But um, but that's the story. And now, if you are ever asked that question on Jeopardy, you'll have the answer, and you'll look really smart. Yeah, I forgot what the answer to the question is. <laughs> the only national park completely surrounded by a boundary fence. There I, you go. Okay, great. So, Matt, let's talk about the Summit District first. How about that? Let's do that, Karen. Okay. Since it's the only district that we visited. That's right. So, as we said, the Summit area rises over 10,000 feet above the ocean, and it looks down into the massive crater, which is seven miles across, two miles wide, and it's close to 3,000 feet deep. Yeah, it's a pretty big crater. We hiked down into it. We did. That's the thing to do up at the summit is go on a hike and see this crater. Uh, and there are some incredible views from up there. The views are incredible. I know that we have a, a small vocabulary. It's They're either magnificent, incredible, <laughs> or stunning, or spectacular, uh, or jaw-dropping. Those are, those are all... Or amazeballs. Um, well, that's in your vocabulary. I, I don't use that word. I saved that for the absolute best of the best. Okay. All right. So to get to the summit, though, you have to drive up there on kind of a long switchback road. Yeah. And when we went up there, remember, there was, uh, you know, you go through some residential areas and, and it's a lot of uh, hairpin turns and stuff. But there was a fair amount of open range cattle. Yeah, and every time we came across the cattle, we had to stop the car, and you talked. You talked to the cattle every they time. They have such nice faces. You said the same thing every time. What was it? What'd you say? What would you say? Hey, buddy. 
Okay. Do they ever answer back? No, but they look very interested. Okay, so this speaks to what I was saying earlier about the fence is a big section of this road going up to the crater is outside the national park. So the fence does not start until you get to the park boundary. But specifically, this road to the top, it's 38 miles long, and you basically go from sea level up to 10,000 feet in 38 miles. It's one of the shortest ascending roads to this elevation in the entire world. Yeah, a lot of people think of Hawaii as just tropical, but gosh, a couple a couple of the islands have tall mountains. And so, I mean, it's not only is it cool up there, they can get snow. Oh, at, yeah. I at think 10, as we're recording this, I believe it's snowing right now up there. So you might need more than just a sweatshirt. Now, a lot of visitors to Hawaii stay in the developed areas of either Kanapali or Wailea. And so from both of those places, it's about a two hour drive to get to the top of the summit. So just know that ahead of time. There are a lot of switchbacks on this road and blind turns and steep drop-offs. And as we said, there's cattle that, that are open-range cattle, or at least there were when we went. But you also have to watch out for Nene. I wanted to see a Nene. We which, didn't see any Nene. Which is basically a goose, I believe. It's, a... <laughs> it's Hawaii State Bird, and they're endangered. And there are signs along the road warning you of Nene crossings, because apparently sometimes those birds or geese are hit by, by cars traveling up and down the highway. Yeah, you got to watch out for them. Absolutely. Now, as you make your way up, there is a headquarters visitor center that sits at 7,000 feet. But if you continue to the top to the Haleakala Visitor Center, that sits at 9,740 feet. And that visitor center is where the trails start from that upper visitor center. Now, that one's currently closed, right? There, is there, it a COVID thing? It or? is a COVID okay. thing. Actually, all the visitor centers are closed due to COVID. But, of course, the park's open. Now, just past that top visitor center, you can drive a little bit further, all the way to the summit at 10,023 feet. Now, I know that spot up there by the upper, the Haleakala Visitor Center, is a popular place for people to go to watch the sunrise. Mm -hmm. But one thing to keep in mind, if you're planning to watch the sunrise from up there, you'll need an advance reservation. Right. Uh, viewing the sunrise from the top of Haleakala is one of the most popular things to do in the park. And because they had crowds of people trying to get up there, now you need a reservation to enter the park anytime between 3 a.m. and 7 a.m., and you can book that on recreation.gov up to 60 days in advance. Right. We, we don't do that because we're, we're never awake at 3 a.m. Well, yeah, if you add in the two-hour driving time, and I'm not sure, you no, know, obviously no. the sunrise time changes. But yeah, I'm out too. <laughs> Sunset is good for us. We'll be at McDonald's <laughs> at 7 a.m. waiting in line for McGriddles. <laughs> But not, not at the top of a mountain. That's right. We have our priorities. <laughs> it used to be that one of the other popular things to do in the park was to ride bikes down this road from the top. And there were tour companies that would take you and the bikes all the way up to the top. And then you would just have to ride downhill. Yeah, just, you probably didn't even have to pedal. No, was, you just coast the whole way yeah. down. We saw people biking down each time we visited the park, mm -hmm. but I think the the park service now has stopped letting people do that. Um, at least in the park itself, I think they still do those tours, but they have to start lower, below the park boundary. 
Exactly. So if you're interested in that, and there are still a lot of tour companies advertising that, but just be aware that you are not starting at the top anymore. They start you much lower outside the park boundary. I think it would still be a fun thing to do, probably. Yeah. As long as you don't have to be there by sunrise to do it. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So let's talk specifically about the weather up there. Okay, let's talk about that, Karen. Because it can change dramatically as you go up in elevation. Yeah, it's like we said, it was nice and tropical and warm down at sea level. And then you get to the top. I, I think both times we were there, November and December, it was around 40 degrees at the top. It's pretty consistently cold up there. Yes, well, and I looked it up. Temperatures can range from 30 degrees to 65 degrees and can frequently reach below freezing at any time. And it's the wind chill factor, too, that'll get you. Yeah, it was windy when we were up there. Definitely windy. And so you have to worry about hypothermia and hikers need to be prepared for cold and rainy conditions. There are a lot of warnings on the National Park Service website talking about the unpredictable weather, and they say you need to prepare for harsh UV rays, wind, rain, and cold temperatures year-round. Yeah, it, it's not like a day on the beach, literally, right? It's it's a very different environment up there. You need to be prepared for, for that, and then you'll have a good time. That's right. The main trail at the top, which is what most people do, and then there are spur trails that branch off of this. This is the Sliding Sands Trail, and it's 11 miles out and then back. And as I said, there are connecting trails on it. So when we, uh, I think it was our second visit, wasn't it, Matt, that we set off on the Sliding Sands Trail? Right. And that's a good name for the trail because, uh, I mean, it was the footing was firm in a lot of places, but I mean, 11 miles in sliding sand is <laughs> that's a long way and it's not 11 miles if you do we want to do the whole thing it's 22 miles right we yeah. we, did, we did not do that we <laughs> went a few miles out yeah we hiked 3 miles out and back and the thing is that that you need to know is that all the hikes start off, you're going down in elevation, right? So then you have to, obviously, when you're turning around, you have to make your way back up. And I remember the ranger warned us about yeah. that when we were talking to her about the trails. Yeah, because <laughs> people give up on life and they just, they just sit there. I think the rangers could sit up there with binoculars and see people just sitting on the side of the trail and say, I'm not doing it. This is, that was this me. is where it ends. <laughs> me, I think, me, you, I think me. you did that a couple times. <laughs> 
So we had ambitions to hike a lot more than three miles out. I think I wanted to do like five miles out and five miles back. But you know, we started off, we hiked the 1400 feet down. And I remember it was so windy. And that sandy surface, the the particles of sand were hitting us in the face. Quite frankly, it was pretty miserable. It was miserable. And that brings up another point. Definitely take sunglasses. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and what I do, and I know people make fun of me, sometimes I actually take safety glasses that are clear. Because sometimes you're in environments like that where it's windy and there's sand and dust and it's getting in your eyes but it's cloudy and mm-hmm. so you don't want to put sunglasses on so i put my safety glasses on i i endure people making fun of me but <laughs> like me but dust doesn't get in my eyes yeah so i realize we're not really selling the hikes up yeah. at the crater yeah but it's great you should do it you should you should book an expensive trip to hawaii right now here's the thing the views are incredible it's otherworldly up there. It's kind of like you're hiking on the surface of Mars, but it's even more beautiful. And the basic- or maybe the moon. Okay. When we were at Mars, That's it true. wasn't exactly like Mars. It's more moon-like. It's more, <laughs> yes, because when we were on the moon, it reminded me more of Hollywood. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. But you could be hiking through clouds, or you could have incredible views of the ocean. I mean, it is spectacular, so I would definitely encourage everybody to go up. And, I mean, just, you know, hike a half mile if, if the conditions are miserable. But I think everyone needs to see it for sure. Yeah, it's a beautiful park. Yeah. Now, one thing I want to do that we didn't do, up at the summit, there are three wilderness cabins in the crater that you can reserve and stay in. Yeah, for people who have hiked down there and <laughs> given up on life, and so the rangers don't have to go go rescue them. They, they can have a place to think about it for a while overnight and then maybe change their minds and and hike out. Yeah. Now, these cabins were built in 1937 by carpenters at the CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps. They brought in materials using mules and horses, and they also hauled some of them on their backs. So the let me get this straight. The mules and the horses were allowed through the fence then. It's like, okay, if you're going to do something productive, we'll let you in. But if you had been listening to my history channel, yeah. you would know that they didn't start building the fence until the 1970s. And this CCC okay. was in the 1930s. So. You're right. I wasn't, I wasn't listening so, to the history channel part of this. I know you, you never this. do. But if you want to stay in one of the cabins, you do have to hike to get there. So one of them, the first one, uh, you can get there by hiking 3.7 miles. The second one is 5.5 miles out on the trail. And the last and third and most difficult hike to a cabin is 9.3 miles. And they do say that's incredibly strenuous, a lot of up and down. A lot of numbers there. Mm Mm-hmm. Here's another number for you. Mm-hmm. It costs $75 a night to reserve mm-hmm. those cabins. So you can reserve up to three nights, and you can also book that on recreation.gov. At least now they're taking reservations, I think, six months in advance. And sometimes those deadlines change, so you right. know, check that out. But mm-hmm. you definitely want to book those in advance. Yeah. So. Each cabin has a wood-burning stove, so if it's freezing and snowing, you can keep yourself warm. Uh, There's a propane stove and four padded bunks. Now, there is no electricity in these cabins, and uh, I think there are pit toilets and water available nearby. Yeah, so I think that would be a very fun adventure. Are you in? 
Am I in? No, I thought you were telling people so that if anyone wants to go with you, like, I'm not, no, I'm not in. I'm not doing that. We could do the first one that's 3.7 miles away. That We are, we already hiked three you miles can. down. We weren't that far from it. So if we just pushed a little further, I think we could yes, make it. Yes, let's, let's definitely do that. Put that in the wish bucket. <laughs> I'm just going to agree because okay. there's, there's a chance that that particular wish will get stuck at the bottom of the bucket and I'll never have to do it. Now, for those of you who want to camp, but you don't want to hike to your camping spot, there is drive-up camping in the park. There is Hosmer Grove that has six sites uh, located at 7,000 feet. So you're just going to drive up there and camp at 7,000 feet Yeah, in the so wind. You could do yeah. that, Matt. I'll be at the cabin. And you can reserve those on recreation.gov as well. All right. Karen, what about wilderness tent camping? Are there any <laughs> primitive wilderness tent camping areas in the park i don't want wooden walls <laughs> i don't want water pit toilets I, I just want i just want to be out there in it well then you are in luck because there are two primitive wilderness tent camping areas which are again accessible by the sliding sands trail Reservations are required for both these campsites. And again, you can reserve them up to six months in advance. So we should get on that. Yeah, we should. <laughs> we should get on that. Yeah, yeah. I'll put you in charge of the reservations. All right. Now, the other district that is in Haleakala is called the Kipahulu District. This is the coastal area that has lush rainforests and a couple of waterfalls that you can see. Now, the way to access this it's 12 miles past the town of Hana on the infamous Hana Highway. That Hana Highway, you got to be careful on the hairpin turns. Oh, my gosh. Uh, because uh, the roads are narrow and not everyone on the road is paying attention. No. And there are over 600 curves along this road to Hana. It's a 64-mile drive. And there were dozens and dozens of one-way bridges. Yeah, a lot of rental cars on that road. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. We drove it, but we didn't make it all the way to Hana. We turned around at one point. <laughs> yeah, we, we we gave up. <laughs> we did give up because it was our choices were driving this crazy road or laying on the beach drinking some uh, tropical umbrella drinks. And guess what? Went out. <laughs> yeah, I think we we had different expectations <laughs> yeah. about the Hana Highway, uh, and so maybe maybe if we. Adjust our expectations. We can do it the next time because we're going to go to the Kipahulu district, Karen. Right. So there is another way to get there. If you look at the map. By helicopter? Uh, well, no. It's still the Hana Highway, but it's coming from the opposite direction. So the town of Hana, you know, if you're looking at the map, is on the very east side of the island. And so the the main road to Hana is taking you along the northeast coast, but you can also access this area of the park along the southeast coast. And it's not quite, I think, as hairpin turny, and it's a little bit faster of a drive if you go that way. Okay, maybe we'll do that. Yeah, we should definitely try that. So tell us, Karen, what would a visitor see in the Kipahulu district? Well, you would see cascading waterfalls, sweeping ocean vistas, and Hawaiian archaeological sites. Oh, so, so it's worth the drive out yes. there. Here's one really important thing to note about this district is currently it is only open from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And the inbound gate into this district closes at 4.30 ahead of the 5 p.m. closure. So 
This makes it virtually impossible to see both areas of the park on the same day because of these limited hours. You cannot get there for sunrise. You cannot be there for sunset. They want you out. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. The developed area of this district is small. There is a visitor center and only two hiking trails. The most popular and somewhat famous trail is called, Matt, I'm going to let you say the name of this one. I spelled it out phonetically for you on the outline. The PPY Trail? You're making this up. (laughs) PPY? Now, this is a four-mile round-trip trail, and what is very special about it is it goes through the bamboo forest, and that, I think, is a very cool thing to see. I've seen a lot of photos of that. How long is this hike? This bamboo forest is only about a mile in, but if you continue on, you can get to Waimoku Falls. This viewing area of the waterfall is at the end of the PPY Trail after two miles. And so then at that point, you would turn around. And I think the hike to to the falls to the end gains about 800 feet in elevation. Do people swim in the waterfall? Well, they do, but it's not advised. Sadly, there have been several deaths at the base of the waterfall from falling rocks, and the park has posted warning signs. And there is another waterfall that hikers pass by along this trail, and sadly, people have died there as well after being swept over the waterfall due to flash floods. So pay close attention to all the posted signs. Also, it is illegal to go off trail anywhere in this district of the park. And what's the other hike in this district? It's the Kuloa Point Trail, which starts at the Visitor Center. Now, this one is only a half mile long, and it will take you to some beautiful ocean views and archaeological sites. Uh, This trail is popular for viewing an area called the Seven Sacred Pools. Ooh, that sounds like something we need to see. I agree. So a lot on our list for Haleakala, PPY Trail and the Wilderness Cabins up on the summit. And to see a nene. And to see a nanny, right? Yeah, a lot left to do. I know. Got to keep going. We got to be scheduling that trip soon. So yeah, so a week in Hawaii, that'd be a great getaway, especially in the winter. You know, there's two incredible national parks there, one on the Big Island, one on Maui. Yeah, while you're soaking up the sun, you can also visit incredible cultural sites, landscapes, lava. They have it all, really. I know. Hike the sliding sands. (laughs) Um, do the PPY trail. That's right. All kinds of weather, all kinds of incredible views. So much to see, but definitely pack a sweatshirt. Pack a sweatshirt or go by the Walmart and uh, have a lovely breakfast and get a sweatshirt at Walmart. To all of you who keep tuning in week after week, we really appreciate it. And it looks like we have new listeners in Spain. So hello to all of you and welcome. In Belgium, what is going on in beautiful Belgium? A lot of you are listening to our podcast and we're very grateful. I thought you were going to speak in the native tongue of those, <laughs> of those countries. Could you redo that and speak in the, nat- I- the native Belgian tongue? I would love to, but I'm afraid I would say something wrong or offensive. And we'd get canceled. Yes. We will be back with our mailbag episode at the end of the month. And if you have any questions you'd like us to answer in future mailbag episodes, please send those to Smith at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on social media. On Instagram, we're Matt and Karen Smith. On Twitter, we're Matt and Karen. And on Facebook, we're Dear Bob and S. 
So that wraps up this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to get to 1 million reviews by the end of the year. 1 million? <laughs> oh, I, I think that <laughs> did I say a million? Yes. I, I meant a thousand. Oh, okay. That's, that's still a stretch, but a little bit better. Thank you.